So I love reading. I love knowledge. But the, or the idea that truth is more a person and less an idea or less a piece of knowledge is both very weird, very strange, but also to me very comforting and very beautiful because I know how fantastic it is to know a person <laughs> and it's way better and more fulfilling and and truer to what a human soul needs than simply knowing facts or knowing books hi internet Welcome to episode four of Changed My Mind with Luke T. Harrington. I'm Luke T. Harrington, and this is my podcast where I talk to people who have changed their minds about big, important things, often things that are costly to change their minds about. Um, the purpose of this is to prove that it is possible to change your mind, possible to uh, continue rethinking your ideas, even in an era when people supposedly live in quote-unquote echo chambers. And I am so sick of the phrase echo chamber, and I'm sorry for using it again. Um, I promise I, I won't do it next week. Um, <laughs> but um, this week, I talked to um, a friend of mine. Um, you know, I don't want to say a, a close friend. Um, you know, just someone I've, I've known online for a little while, um, several years, and... His name is Brian Gregory Thomas, and when I first encountered him on the internet, he was a Southern Baptist preacher and has since become an Eastern Orthodox catechumen. Um, now, I think um, we did forget to define the word catechumen in our conversation, but if you, if you don't know the word, what it means is um, somebody learning the basics of a faith in order to uh, join. Um, so that's what he is. He's, he's uh, going through the process of joining the Eastern Orthodox faith. Um, now, if you don't know Eastern Orthodox, uh, in short, there are kind of three main branches of Christianity in the world. There's Protestantism, there's Catholicism, and there's Eastern Orthodoxy. And the Eastern Orthodox Church and the Roman Catholic Church split um, almost a thousand years ago over, um, you know, partly because of the fall of the Roman Empire, um, partly because of linguistic and cultural differences, but, you know, um, partly because of, uh, you know, differences in theology as well, um, namely some differences over uh, the nature of the Holy Spirit and the nature of the Christian Trinity. Um, now, and if that sounds all kind of inside baseball, um, I apologize um, to, uh, you know, not, to non-Christian listeners, you know, I mean, it probably sounds like I'm just saying he uh, switched from one flavor of Christianity to another, you know, like, oh, he went from beige to eggshell or something. Um, but as I say in our conversation, you know, going from Baptist Christianity to Orthodox Christianity is probably the biggest leap you can possibly make while still staying in Christianity. Um, so, you know, it was kind of a, a really interesting conversation. Um, he is still 
a Baptist preacher at heart. <laughs> the man is one heck of a storyteller. Um, so we talked for a long time. The whole conversation is about two hours long. Um, and I, I thought about editing it down, um, but so much of it was so interesting um, that I just, I just decided to mostly leave it as is. Um, so if you have a long commute, congratulations. You just filled your commute, like the whole commute, maybe even the whole round trip. Um, so I really hope you enjoy our conversation. I will flip you over there. All right, I'll see you on the other side. Welcome to episode four of Changed My Mind with Luke T. Harrington. I am Luke T. Harrington in the flesh, and I am here with Brian Gregory Thomas. Say hi. Brian. Hey, Luke. Thanks for having me um, on. Yeah, absolutely. Um, this, if you're new to the show, if you've never listened to an episode before, this is a, it's a pretty simple premise. I talk to people who have changed their minds about big things. Um, things that are big and tribal, like your horrible tattoo. Um, I'm never going to get tired of that joke, by the way. Um, <laughs> nor, nor should you. Yeah. Um, anyway, um, and the reason for this is just because we are, as far as I can tell, living in an era where people, very few people seem to care about facts <laughs> or being open to the facts or being open to new ideas. Um, there are studies out there published by psychologists that say that um, it is extraordinarily difficult to get people to change their mind. And if you present them with evidence that is contradictory to their views, uh, they will find a way to ignore it, dig in their heels. They will take it as a personal attack. Um, But that being said, we all know someone who has changed their minds about something. Um, and I am just curious to learn why people change their minds, um, and what leads them to that decision. Um, so this is my podcast. It is part research project, part therapy for me, more the latter than the former. Um, (laughs) so let's get into it. Um, Brian Gregory Thomas is here. He is a blogger, a law student, a former... Baptist minister, and a current Eastern Orthodox catechumen. Um, So that's what we're talking about today, uh, why Brian converted from Baptist Christianity to Orthodox Christianity, which in my mind is probably the biggest leap you can make (laughs) while still being in Christianity. It's it's pretty Um, close if it's not quite. Yeah, it's pretty, pretty. Maybe Pentecostal to Orthodox is a little bit further. I don't know. Um, it could be. It just depends. There are actually some aspects of uh, Pentecostal tradition that aligns closer with some Orthodox aspects. Um, as far as well, like Baptists tend to be really not emotional and not at all uh, <laughs> demonstrative in worship. And Orthodox aren't super either. But there is like you do have to move around some. 
in an Orthodox liturgy, which, uh, which is not true for Baptist service. And so that, <laughs> at least that part would probably, uh, be a little closer to, to Pentecostal, but yeah, there's, there's not much of a, of a jump that you could make and still, uh, stay within Christianity than from, uh, Baptist to, uh, to Eastern Orthodoxy. This, uh, this podcast so far has been very Christian flavored, I think, which wasn't necessarily my intent, but is kind of just what I have access to. <laughs> I'm just talking to the people who want to be on the show <laughs> so far, and a lot of the most people I know are, are Christians. So um, we're just going to go with it. Um, I'm really, I, I'm actually really interested in the phenomenon that I, I've been seeing a lot lately of... Uh, you know, Protestants and especially low church Protestants converting to Orthodoxy. So yeah, I'm pretty interested in this. Um, why don't we just get into it? Um, yeah. You were yeah. telling me before we started, you were telling me a little bit about your background in, you know, not just Baptist Christianity, but like big tent revival Baptist Christianity. <laughs> yeah, so pretty, pretty why don't you talk it. some about that? Yeah. Yeah. So um, I, uh, I have more or less or, or, had been more or less involved in ministry since I was 12. Um, when I was 12, my dad, who was a Baptist pastor, uh, resigned his church and uh, launched a, um, a ministry that was geared around um, itinerant ministry, which means we traveled a lot. And my dad would preach revival services at churches. And uh, all of us kids, there were seven of us kids in the family, still are I, yeah, there were seven of us uh but we all played bluegrass <laughs> instruments we had a, a band um just a family band so a lot of times the revival services would look like we'd start off playing two or three songs uh as a family bluegrass band we'd segue into some congregational music and then uh dad would would preach the the revival uh sermon and a lot of times we, uh, us older siblings would take the kids, like when we do something with the kids uh, at the church while dad preached. So we'd have all the kids and we'd go do kind of Bible school kind of stuff, teach them songs, uh, memorize scripture, do a gospel presentation. And so I started doing that when I was 12 and did that all the way up until I went to college when I was 19. So seven years of doing that. And then went to college, actually went to college to be a lawyer uh, at that point. And while I was in college, surrendered to the ministry, came back and eventually was a youth pastor outside of Memphis for about three and a half years before uh, becoming a, a pastor of a Southern Baptist church in El Dorado, Arkansas, where I served for two and a half years. So uh, I'm, I'm like, uh, and I, I've, I told people before and I still tell people like I was Baptist born and bred. I was bo literally born in a Baptist hospital. Uh, <laughs> my dad is a Baptist pastor. Both of my grandfathers were Baptist pastors. Uh, one of my grandfathers was a professor at um, a Baptist college in Conway, Arkansas. It was the the flagship school of this really small uh, Baptist denomination, the the BMA Baptist Missionary Association, and he was professor there for. I, I lose track of how many decades. It was at least 30, maybe close to 50 years he was there. Um, it was uh, just um, a mainstay in that Bible department. Um, so when I started contemplating leaving the Baptist expression and going towards something else, even before it ended up being orthodoxy, 
it was a pretty it's a pretty big leap um to to put it in a little bit of perspective there was a kerfuffle uh, in the family and then in circles around the family just when my dad left the baptist missionary association and joined a southern baptist church that was a big deal um uh the, the, my dad had a friend who was like literally blackballed from bma events and circles when he had done the same thing a few years ago um they had softened a little bit that no one really blackballed my dad but it it created a stir <laughs> when my dad left the bma to go to the to the sbc so um yeah, me leaving Southern Baptist to to go towards Orthodoxy was uh, it raised some eyebrows. Uh, my dad was a much bigger name in the BMA than I am in the Southern Baptist, but still, for the grandson of Burton Herring and Jesse Thomas to forsake his Baptist roots and go towards that thing that is vaguely like Catholicism was um, yeah, it's a pretty big deal. Pretty big deal. <laughs> It's like Catholicism, but even more hardcore. Yes, yes. Uh, <laughs> somebody, I forget who, somebody compared it to like Catholicism, like the death metal version of Catholicism or something. There you that go. Hardcore, there so. you go. <laughs> All right. So why don't we talk about, you know, start at the beginning. Why don't we talk about your, your Baptist faith? Um, talk about kind of, you know, what what you believed as a Baptist, why you would talk about why you believed it. Um, you know, in other words, like, was it just what you were raised with? So you just kind of defaulted to it or did you, would you say you kind of just, you know, earnestly believed it? Um, you know, let's talk about that. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. So Baptist faith is, it can be kind of hard to pin down because like one of the core tenets of, the Baptist expression is that there are so many more kind of negotiables um, <laughs> than there are like in Catholicism or Orthodoxy or, or even Lutheranism. Um, sure. It's, it, it's sort of, well, I mean, there are reformed Baptists and Arminian Baptists. So. Yeah. And, and <laughs> there are, there are, you know, ecumenical Baptists and, and I mean, there were people in the BMA uh, denomination I grew up in, who literally believed that if you were not a member of not just a Baptist church, but if you were not a member of a BMA church, <laughs> you may get to heaven, but you would not be uh, a part of the bride of Christ. Like they would even say <laughs> at the wedding feast of the lamb, you're not going to be sitting and eating. You might be a server. I've, I heard that come from people's mouths. So that is um, a weird distinction. But okay. Yeah, <laughs> it really is. Um, but to me, when I think about Baptist faith, um, a few distinctions uh, are, you know, believers' baptism, um, congregational, local congregational autonomy. You're, you're sort of only associated with the other Baptist churches you want to be associated with. Right. Um, but no one can kind of come in and tell you what you should believe or what you as your church uh, should do. Um, another, what I consider a mainstay, but different again different baptists interpret it differently but it more or less having um or holding a, a, a symbolic understanding of the lord's supper uh, and of baptism you know very non-sacramental you know that there's sure there are really no sacraments that just really yeah. boils down salvation and the gospel to 
a personal relationship with Jesus Christ that more or less exists only in your heart of hearts. Um, and everybody can have an opinion about it, but no one can really judge it. Um, right. So that, and again, but you ask a hundred different Baptists, you're going to get a hundred different a- answers, but those are sort of the, the mainstays, kind of the pillars. Um, and being a, a third generation Baptist uh, minister, um, those were very much handed to me, uh, those beliefs. I don't really even mean that in a negative way because I'm going to hand hand my kids uh, my beliefs. I don't know; sure. they're all they're all pretty independent. They may not take them, um, <laughs> but so they they were handed to me. I was raised to to believe them, uh, but at the same time, I, I did study for myself. Uh, I did. I love to read. I love to study. Um, so you know, I'd like to say, well, of course I didn't accept those things blindly to a certain extent I did. Cause I was raised, I was raised in it. And again, I don't even, I don't mean that in a negative way, but, but there are things that as I grew older, I studied for myself, you know, um, came to, do I agree with this? Do I not agree with this? But really not agreeing with it never even really crossed my mind. I mean, I heard my dad preach on these things every Sunday growing up. Uh, I heard both my grandfathers talk about them. It, um, you, they were never really questioned. Um, not even so much in an authoritarian, like, oh, we were, we were never allowed to question those beliefs, but it's just like never really had a good reason to growing up, if that makes sense. Sure. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, they were handed to me, uh, by and large, but I also earnestly believe them, you know, um, as a child, as a teenager, as a, as a youth pastor. And it, you know, it wasn't until I had been, uh, a, a, the pastor in, uh, El Dorado that I really started, um, uh, questioning some of those core, some of those main tenets, um, and finding answers to those questions that weren't really in line with what I'd always thought. So, um, so yeah, you inherit beliefs, uh, when you're a kid and then you investigate them, to various extents and at various depths as you grow older. And then I guess I just got to a point where I investigated it further than I'd ever investigated them before and, and started finding the, the evidence a little, uh, a little lacking. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Um, some of that was maybe a little inside baseball for people that haven't spent <laughs> a lot Probably of time so, studying, yeah. studying Christian doctrine. Um, you know, maybe for, uh, for the benefit of, um, uh, listeners, we should we should uh, talk a little bit about you know the difference between uh, like the you know the the more traditional understanding of the sacraments versus like the low church Baptist kind of understanding of the sacraments. Yeah, uh, um. I mean, but <laughs> you, you want me to, or were you going? To? Yeah, I, I was I was kind of kind of on the fence about that. Um, okay, I mean, I mean, I feel like the the short the short version is that. Um, more traditional uh, forms of Christianity, like Orthodoxy, Catholicism, even Anglicanism, Lutheranism, um, would believe that, yes, people are saved through baptism. Um, Like the physical act of baptism Mm -hmm. actually Mm -hmm. um, helps work to affect salvation. Um, And yes, Jesus is physically present in the bread and the wine of the Eucharist. Yeah. Um, Yeah. 
which to a lot of Protestants is very strange, <laughs> but there is considerable um, reason to think the, you know, the church believed those things from ancient times. And yeah, um, yeah. The, only, <laughs> the only way you uh, get to denying them is if you read the Bible in a vacuum, um, ignorant of, you know, everything before modernism. Anyway, that's my hot take. Yeah, and I'm no, sure a that's... lot of a lot of my Protestant listeners just got very offended. But oh whatever. yeah, yeah, <laughs> for sure. And and yeah, any any uh, yeah, some the people that were not super happy with me when I resigned will, if they bother to listen to it, will not be super happy to hear that that I agree with you. I I don't <laughs> think. Yeah, I just I I think to get to a place where you would say that that isn't true. Uh, means that you really have studied the Bible in in a vacuum um, and really ignored or at least are largely ignorant of giant swaths of church tradition and Christian history that ought to inform how you read the Bible and how you interpret it. I've said this before that I I don't really, I don't personally (laughs) believe in a like a vast divide um, between like logic and emotions um but at the same time i feel like a lot of people think of the human psyche that way like this is my logic this is my emotions right yeah they're two separate things um so i do ask this question to try to get people to introspect a little bit would you say Mm -hmm. that your um your commitment to to baptist christianity was more on the logical end of things or more on the emotional end of things um yeah i would say most likely on the on the emotional end, although I also would agree with you. I don't think emotional thinking and or emotional reasoning and like logical reasoning are are really that that separate. Um, and I think acting like they are, or, or I think proceeding with the idea that they are mostly separate or completely separate things is really an unhe- an unhealthy way to 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 think and to think about how you think. Uh, But at the same time, there, there was a very strong emotional aspect to it um, it, in no small part because of what I've mentioned before. It was both my grandfathers, my dad um, were, were Baptist. I was, was raised Baptist. I had, you know, that was uh, such a strong part and such an important part of, my identity really and how I understood who I was was through the lens of being a Baptist and not just of being a Baptist, but of being the son of a Baptist and being the grandson of a Baptist and those things, um, you know, having that heritage was important and it, and it mattered because it, it connected me to my dad in certain ways. And it connected me to my grandfather's, um, in certain ways um, that, well, like for instance, my dad is, is an artist and he does caricatures. He does cartoons. He's just a really, really gifted artist and I can't draw worth anything. And then most of my siblings can draw not quite as good. Some of them better than my dad, others (laughs) about as good as my dad, or they probably would be about as good if they drew as much as he did in practice. But I'm just terrible. I realized I was terrible when I was about 12 and my eight year old brother and I were drawing the same thing. And I looked over at his and thought, Oh my word, yours is 
10 times better than mine. <laughs> I am never drawing again. Um, so, so, and that, I mean, that's not that big a deal in the grand scheme of things, but it kind of goes back to how being a Baptist sort of was part of who I was. It, that connected me to my dad when the fact that I wasn't an artist didn't, or I would try to do things that I knew my dad did when he was younger. Um, and like my dad was also a ventriloquist and I tried to learn that and <laughs> found that I was terrible at that as well. Um, so there really was a, a strong emotional pull uh, or strong emotional reasons, I guess, uh, to be a Baptist and to, to accept that heritage and to rejoice in it and be glad I was a Baptist and then to really badly want to hold on to it. Um, when I realized that I was finding reasons to, to leave it in the end. Mm-hmm. So do you, you, you feel then like your, your Baptist faith was the only thing really connecting you to your, to your father and your grandfather? Would you, oh, is no. that how you would put it? No, or? no, I wouldn't okay. say it was the only thing. Um, uh, and, and my, my dad and I are, are, are still pretty close. In fact, we're probably closer now, uh, than we were, um, three or four years ago or, or even before oh, that. Um, and part of that is, you know, I have, I have kids now, my kids are getting older. Uh, so now we have that sort of, he's a dad, I'm a dad kind of thing. And, and <laughs> sharing that bond uh, and seeing that bond strengthen as my, my kids grow up. And I relate to, uh, start to relate to decisions my dad made that when I was a kid, I just did not understand. Like, why would dad do that? Or, why does dad make a groaning noise every time he stands up? I'm like, Oh, well now, now I get that. So, <laughs> so no, I, I, I didn't really, I didn't mean to say that was the only thing because it wasn't, but it was definitely one of the things, you know? And so sure. the idea of, of being a Baptist minister and being a Baptist pastor and following my dad's footsteps, um, that was really important to me. I mean, I, I loved the fact that I was getting able to do that. I was being able to do that, that I was getting to, kind of emulate my dad in that way and um, being a Baptist minister meant I was like the third generation, you know, Baptist minister in the family. Um, and, and that was just, I really liked that. That, that was, that was a really cool thing, uh, a really special thing. And so sure. uh, definitely not the only thing, um, but, but a pretty important one. This is, um, you know, this, this is kind of an unpleasant question, um, <laughs> but I'm, I'm pretty interested in, you know, the, the, the idea that maybe we believe what we believe for selfish reasons, you know, like maybe what we believe ingratiates us to the right people, makes us feel better about ourselves, that sort of thing. So would you say there, there were any, any selfish reasons you had for, for hanging on to your Baptist faith as long as you did or? Oh, for sure. Um, yeah, there were definitely some some selfish or, or self-centered reasons. Um, one of which was, um, well, this is this is one of the sillier ones, but like I really, really liked and still really, really like um, reading and listening to and, and kind of following along with Dr. Russell Moore, who's a Southern Baptist. And uh-huh. so... Mm-hmm. Um, Man, the idea of like, man, he he was somebody in the Southern Baptist um, faith and in you know kind of that the Southern Baptist hierarchy that I really liked, you know. And so, honestly, this was this was a literal thought that crossed my mind and shows you how shallow I am and how no one should really care that I went to Orthodoxy because it was probably for shallow reasons. But 
when I realized, man, I'm, I'm not going to be a bad this anymore. Literally, one of the thoughts that crossed my mind was, ah, I'll never be like Dr. Moore. Not that I was ever <laughs> going to be anyway, but <laughs> but uh, more serious selfish reasons um, was, I mean, that that was my uh, my livelihood. You know, that's how I mm -hmm. made the money. That's how I paid the bills. And uh, it was when my wife and I got to a point where we knew that I was going to have to resign. Um, we knew that the, the path I was on theologically and, and spiritually um, was not was diverging from the Baptist tradition in some pretty major ways. <laughs> like when I could read the Baptist faith and message, which is like the statement of faith for the church I was at, and come to a play, come to a paragraph or a sentence where I would say, you know, I'm not really sure that I agree with the most common interpretation of this statement, <laughs> but I would read it and say, I just flat out disagree with what that says. You know, there's just, uh -huh. it, it got to a point where it's like, there's no way I could in good faith hold up that document and say, I affirm it. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, that was pretty, that was, that was pretty scary uh, because when we got to that point where we knew that's where we were and you know, where, where I was, um, we knew that meant I was going to resign mm -hmm. um, and, and have to do it sooner rather than later, because the longer you stay on, once you reach that point, the more you're pretty much lying to everyone, um, you know, just by, because by staying on, you're sort of tacitly saying, I affirm this statement that you no longer affirm. So, um, yeah, so there was probably, and all in all, it, it all happened pretty quick, uh, especially compared to some other guys I know that that went through similar changes. But, um, I mean, definitely, I, I could have resigned sooner than I did, and mm -hmm. I justified staying on in a variety of different ways that didn't end with. I'm not resigning today because I don't have, I don't know how I'm going to make money once I resign. Um, mm -hmm. And those other reasons, you know, I still think there's some, I would say there's some validity to them, but, but yeah, it was, I had a ton of reasons. Um, well, I had a wife and then four small children that were all reasons for finding a way to, to hang on and finding a way to temper what I said or how i presented what i believed just enough so that i was just a weird baptist instead <laughs> of being a not baptist <laughs> yeah i um i have not really been in ministry for any meaningful length of time in my life and i can honestly say i don't envy people who are <laughs> yeah you know, because um, once you're dependent on that for your, your livelihood, it does get very hard to, or at least scary to ask questions to, um, you know, to, um, I don't, I mean, I don't want to say to think, but, you know. <laughs> yeah, well, no, I, I remember um, back years ago, back when I was still a youth pastor in Memphis and was still a gung-ho Baptist all the way reading an article it was from like the new york times or washington post or, or usa today or something but they interviewed these 
ministers, these church ministers, pastors, priests, um, who were all still at their church uh, serving as a pastor or as priests, but who were actually atheists. A couple of them openly atheists and others who were atheists, but, you know, kind of kept that under their hat. Um, and I remember reading that and thinking, man, this is inexcusable. You people, you're all, you're scumbags. <laughs> you're, you are terrible yeah. people. Um, but then, you know, 18 months ago, getting to a point where it's like, okay, I kind of understand what they're, I understand what they're doing. Not that I still didn't agree with it, <laughs> but I didn't, I no, I didn't mentally refer to them as scumbags anymore. Cause I'm like, yeah, sure. cause that's, that's a really tough place to be in, especially yeah. if, People who there are people who have been in that game way longer than I was and had way sure. more invested, uh, and so in that sense, way more to lose. So, well, and you at least had law school to fall back on, like you had something else you had been doing and yeah. could go back to. You know, if you've been in ministry your whole life and that's all you know how to do, you know, and then you find yeah. yourself questioning the faith, like, what are you gonna do, you yeah. know? Um, yeah, my wife, um, for exactly one year, <laughs> was an intern with um, a Reformed University Fellowship, which is like a Presbyterian yeah, yeah. Um, youth, mi- or not youth ministry, but like campus college ministry. Mm-hmm. Um, and, it, and, you know, it was supposed to be a two-year internship, but she only lasted one year. It wasn't, <laughs> wasn't a good fit. Um, but man, like as soon as she started, I ha- had like this wild crisis of faith and I have no idea where it came from, you know, or like, you know, I, I mean, I mean, I, I got over it eventually, obviously, um, because I'm still a practicing Christian. Um, but man, if, if I had been in her position and going through that, like, I don't know what I would have done, you know, yeah. I just yeah. acted like I still believed things that I really at the moment, at that moment in time, didn't believe, you know, I don't, I don't know, yeah. you know, um, so um, let's talk about when you first started questioning your, your Baptist faith. Um, I think you, you alluded to some reading you were doing at the time. Can you tell, tell me what, what you were reading and where it led you to? Yeah. So I was a seminary student. So when I began uh, or when I started as the pastor at um, the church in El Dorado at East Main Baptist Church, I was little over halfway through my master's degree at um, Liberty University School of Divinity uh, as an online student. And the first... Man, Liberty U. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing controversial about that place. No, not not in the slightest. (laughs) So, um, yeah. Was this before or after Trump, though? (laughs) No, here's the thing. That was my commencement. Oh wow! Yeah, I had I had I had lived for the day that I could go to. I was homeschooled. Uh, my bachelor's was from well, it was from like a diploma mill actually. Um, so, and I, and I love school. I am a major, major academic kind of guy. Nerd. And, yeah, major nerd. <laughs> I was trying not to say that word, but yeah, man, major nerd. And so when I finished my master's and, and my wife uh, was very much like, hey, when you finish, we're going to go to Lynchburg and you're going to you're going to walk, you're going to get your diploma because she knew how much being able to do that meant to me as a giant nerd. Um, oh, and then found out 
who the commencement speaker was going to be. It did cross my mind not to go, but then I was like, you know what? This event is bigger than Elm, and I'm just going to go and try to enjoy the rest of it and <laughs> just get through that part. But literally, the whole weekend became about Helm. The I'm still glad I went. The only regret is that by him, I, by him you mean Falwell or you, you mean Trump? Oh, Trump. I mean, it all became about. I mean, even in the baccalaureate uh, address the night before was all about Trump and how <laughs> how brave uh, Falwell Jr. was for supporting him when nobody else would and. It so was wait, just, was Trump the commencement speaker then? Yes, he was the commencement. I don't speaker think I heard about that. Wow. Oh, yeah, yeah. So oh it was. Gosh. I graduated in May of 2017, so it was his first oh commencement speech as the president. Oh my um, gosh! And he made a big That's deal wild. of telling us. He made a huge deal of telling us how usually. I don't know if this is true. Probably not. Usually, <laughs> the president's first commencement. Uh, address after his inauguration was at Notre Dame, but he was not going to go to Notre Dame, maybe next year, but he was going to go to Liberty. Um, <laughs> he proceeded to make fun of the school and its athletic department on stage during his commencement speech. It was like he made fun of Notre Dame? No, he made fun of Liberty. He made fun of Liberty. <laughs> <laughs> like they announced they were moving up to Division One the next year uh -huh. in football, and they were showing the schedule while he was up there, and he was like, oh, Oh, you go to Auburn comes here. That's not going to go well. Maybe I'll <laughs> maybe I'll become a fan in a couple of years. Yeah, I'll wait a couple of years before it was just like, like, <laughs> and everybody was clapping and laughing. And I'm like, you realize he's telling you you're terrible, and he's not gonna. It is to pretend like he doesn't know who you are until you're not terrible, and you're yeah, and you're all clapping. I must have uh, missed those headlines. I didn't even see Trump. Like stuff about Trump giving the commencement address. Oh, yeah. That is was, so wild. It was bonkers, man. Oh um, my gosh. <laughs> but my 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 really really my only regret from that weekend though is I was this close. And for those of you in podcast land who can't see, I'm holding my thumb and forefinger very close to each other. <laughs> this close to going by Walmart the night before and buying some like gold letters and and putting hashtag never Trump across my, <laughs> my hat. But I was like, I don't know how many people I don't, I ended up not. Cause I was like, I don't know how many people are going to decorate their hats. I don't want to stand out, but like a ton of people decorated their hats. <laughs> and I was like, man, I so wish if I could go back in time and do that again, I would, I would, I you would probably put never, it. I should have. <laughs> but again, I was like, you know what? It's not, I'm not going to make my weekend about him, but mm -hmm. he did it anyway. So, but yeah, so that was, that was when I finished my my masters and went and walked, um, the same uh, yeah the same day that uh, President Trump came and gave the commencement speech. So, um, and for a while, you know, people would say, "What was that like?" And I'd be like, "Well, it's always an honor when the president comes and and you know, even if you don't like him, gives the speech." But now I'm like, it was terrible. It was it wasn't a speech. It was rambling. It was. The honor has worn off. It was just like I wanted a commencement speaker who could put coherent sentences together and make a point besides look at me. I won. Yeah. Oh, man. You yeah. know, I've always I've always been at least I've been willing to assent to the principle that 
you know, even if you don't respect the president, you should respect the office. Okay, yeah. I'm fine with that. But I just, I don't understand how you respect a president who himself clearly does not respect the, yeah. the office, yeah. you know? Like, I don't know how to do that. It, um, it's anyway. It's really hard. <laughs> anyway, yeah, so back to... This, like, is not, this is not supposed to be like Luke's anti-Trump <laughs> podcast, so we don't have to spend hours on that yeah. rabbit trail. But, um, uh, but anyway, all that to say, <laughs> when I first started... One of the the biggest moments when I first started to realize that deep down I was not as Baptist as I'd always considered myself to be was during seminary I was preparing a paper on on baptism. So the kind of the capstone for this class was you you picked a topic from a list provided by the professor, you proposed your own, and the one I chose was on baptism as presented in the book of Acts. Um, and so started researching that and looking into that and was writing the paper. And I probably be honest, and I'll probably find out in a few weeks when law school starts, but I don't really write research papers the way you're supposed to probably. (laughs) Um, I've gotten better since then, but I just, I, I like got everything I could, uh, I could find at the library on acts on baptism on even <laughs> references to baptism outside the new Testament. And I literally just went and piled it on the table and it's like, all right, let's start working through this stuff. And so just, oh, wow. Yeah. Just started working <laughs> through it and writing the paper as I went and, you know, started, here's this thread, here's that thread, start weaving them together. So I didn't know how it was going to end until I got to the end. Um, and I would started getting to the end and realized, Oh no, I can't, I can't give the Baptist answer here uh, because in the back of my head, I always knew what the end of the paper was going to say. It was going to say baptism is, you know, uh, the first step of obedience after accepting Christ. It's a public profession of faith. Uh, it's just this, it's the symbolic thing uh, that Christians do after they've accepted Christ as their Lord and Savior. And I got to the end of that paper and was looking back at all the references to baptism and acts and even to the New Testament and and how it's talked about and how the apostles uh, approached it and what they taught about it and how they implemented it and how they practiced it and was and thought, man, how on earth am I supposed to read all this and come away with a Baptist with what I knew in the back of my head was the the approved Baptist answer. Um, <laughs> and I sat there and just stared at my my laptop screen because uh, I was, I had the typed, you know, conclusion, the heading conclusion, you know, uh, returned down a couple spaces, getting ready to type the conclusion and, was, and thought, I'm kind of stuck. I can't write the conclusion I know I'm supposed to write because I don't think that's true. Um, hmm. And so ended up, ended up doing some really great lawyer, lawyer-like work and just sort of skirting around everything. Um, <laughs> uh, I mean, I, that's the great thing about <laughs> having training as a lawyer, because as, when you're a lawyer, you start with your conclusion and then you work backwards and say, how can I support it? Exactly. So, you know, <laughs> I've been a lawyer most of my life. It's not, it's not a, a sanctioned one. Uh, uh but I just I, that was that was really the first moment where I, I had to start thinking about not so much like I'm a I'm a bit of an odd duck for a Baptist. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean that's but, kind of interesting to me. 
Um, because obviously you've been to seminary. I haven't. <laughs> it's been a while since I've read the book of Acts, but I do know that one of the one of the verses in Acts is the one Baptists love to point to, which is like with Philip and the Ethiopian. Yeah. Right. When when Philip explains the passage to him and the Ethiopian says, well, why why shouldn't I be baptized then? And Philip's answer is, if you believe with all of your heart that Jesus Christ is the son of God, you may be yeah. baptized. And I know Baptists love to point to that. They do. Like yeah. he has to have faith before he can be baptized, you know. Um, yeah. So I'm I'm curious, like, what was it? What was it in Acts that led you to the opposite conclusion um, regarding uh, baptism? Well, that passage actually <laughs> did uh, influence me the other direction, in part because the the eunuch's approach was because he was reading and he was puzzling, and when Philip came and explained to him, he didn't ask him, "What must I do to be saved?" It's like, well, what prevents me from being baptized? And then Philip does uh-huh. say, you know, if you believe with all with all your heart. And and I think even um, well, I don't know, I can't I'm still only a catechumen, I can't really speak for all orthodox, but <laughs> but faith, you know, has to be present of some sort, you know, before or during baptism. Just with with a child, it's a little bit the faith of the parents, it's the faith of the community, right. even if it's not that personal faith. So and the and the, the eunuch is not a child being baptized into the church. He's a fully grown man. Um sure. you know, and part of the baptismal uh, procedure when you're baptized into the, the Orthodox church, unless you're a baby, like we've been talking to our priest about what that'll look like when we, we take that step. And he's like, well, one thing that you'd have to do is you have to affirm before everybody that you believe this about Christ and that you reject the devil. And, and you literally part of the, the ritual part of the ceremony is you have to spit as if you were spitting on the <laughs> devil. Um, so I don't think even Orthodoxy uh, would say, um, that you can be baptized, especially as an adult, you can be baptized in the church with faith not present. But another thing about that passage is if baptism is like some sort of public profession of faith, why the heck is Philip baptizing this guy in the middle of the desert when no one's there? Um, that is a fair point. <laughs> um, and why does the why uh, why is the eunuch's question what prevents me from being baptized instead of um, what must I do to be saved? It, from the context, it seems like he puts those two things together. For him, mm-hmm. being baptized is at least part of being saved. Um, and then um, there's the the passage where Paul baptizes um, the Gentiles, and the Holy Spirit falls upon them immediately. Some, you know, mm-hmm. something baptism sparked something and then right. later on with i think it was the samaritans um the holy spirit starts starts to fall on them before they're baptized and paul almost like freaks out he's like oh we got to get these people baptized because <laughs> like this isn't supposed to happen i mean it did but at the same time it was so obviously outside sort of the yeah. norm outside of what yeah. the church and paul recognized as the manner in which god uh normally operated it was right. this this odd thing um, and you know, there's, there's Peter's plea, you know, you know, repent and be baptized and you'll be saved. Um, but it was just how it was always this presentation of the gospel. It was always this, this encounter between this unreached people group or this unreached man or this unreached family, uh, or household like the Philippian jailer. And it's, 
<clears throat> it's the gospel is presented baptism it's he believed baptism like you you couldn't really find a place where those things were obviously separate there was no place where it said like the philippian jailer um heard christ believed in christ and two weeks later after he gathered his family and friends together he was <laughs> baptized in public profession of faith they were baptized seemingly in the middle of the night or in the wee early hours of the morning after he'd taken paul and silas to his house and and they'd shared the the truth of the gospel with them so it just i think i ended up with the paper saying um at that point that there seemed to be a at least, and I was like using seam and at least, and I was like hedging my bets as hard as I could. Um, <laughs> but the word I ended up using that was the unbaptist word was, I used the word symbiotic relationship between uh -huh. salvation and baptism. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you, they're just, they're not separable. <laughs> that sounds almost Presbyterian. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I like glanced at Presbyterianism on the way towards, <laughs> towards Orthodox. <laughs> when, I, when I resigned uh, my church, I had a friend uh, who was Presbyterian who who messaged me and he's like, are you becoming Presbyterian? I was like, well, <laughs> like, no, but I did like wave at it as I went by. <laughs> <laughs> Why go halfway, right? <laughs> Yeah, well, kind of got to that point. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that that study, that real just intentional study of baptism, uh, and I had, you know, I had taught about baptism as a youth pastor. I'd preached about it as a pastor, uh, but there was just something different about that study, I guess, because other times, <laughs> intentionally or unintentionally. It was kind of that same thing you said about lawyers. I knew what my point was going to be before I started preparing the lesson, before I started preparing the sermon, in a sense, because I'd always known what the point was going to be because I'd always been Baptist. I always knew what the right answer to the question was. And so <laughs> studying it from this sort of teaching, ministerial, pastoral point of view the the goal was not so much to say, well, what does this passage teach us about baptism? I already know what this passage teaches me about baptism, but it was more, <laughs> how do I present this in a way? How do I teach this point? Um, but in that paper, in that study, I wasn't really trying to say, how do I communicate this point to my professor? But it really was, for whatever reason, a more open-ended and in that way sort of intellectually honest study um where at the end of it i was willing to look at what was laid out in front of me mm -hmm. and say this does not lead me to where i had thought i was going to go yeah well and i know that's one of the standard um criticisms you know from orthodox christians and catholic christians of the idea of sola scriptura scripture alone is that you know nobody actually reads the bible in a vacuum alone, yeah. like you read, I mean, any book you, you pick it up and you read it in the context of your own culture and what, you know, and mm -hmm. the community you, you exist in and the community that gave you the book. Right. And that's, I mean, yeah. that's especially true of the Bible. Like you, you don't, just, you know, you don't just pick up a Bible and read it and, and form your doctrine from that. Like you, have this community that gave you the Bible and told you how to read it. Right. And I know, and I guess the, like the healthiest 
and, and best Baptists I know are the ones who are the most aware of that that reality, you know, and so they know that they study the Bible with this context of received in the Baptist case, really informal, but still a received tradition, a really informal tradition, but still a received tradition. And they just, they, they believe that that's the best tradition. You know, they, they have their reasons that I disagree with and they know I disagree with, but they're aware that they have pre-existing biases and preconceived notions about what the Bible says when they're reading it. They just believe that theirs are the right ones because everyone (laughs) has them. Okay. So, you know, when you first started, uh, questioning these Baptist ideas. I mean, I'm, I'm curious how that felt, you know, did it feel like scary to you at the time? Did it feel kind of exhilarating? Like how did, how did it feel? In the beginning, it did not feel scary in part because I never, well, at first anyway, I never really thought I was going to end up outside the tent. Hmm. Um, and that was one thing about that I loved about Russell Moore and still do is that he, he sort of stretches the Baptist tent in some ways with the things he teaches and things he believes, you know, from a, even from like a social perspective and how he, he applies things and the stands, uh, some of the stands he takes are abnormal for Baptist, uh, the Baptist context in which I was raised, uh, but are still by and large by most people considered to be inside the Baptist tent. So when I, first started kind of stretching those ideas and and sort of stretching the definitions of how far can you stretch the Baptist understanding of like baptism and still be Baptist. I didn't really, (coughs) didn't really cross my mind early on that I was going to end up where I am. I just thought I was going to be an an odd, a weird Baptist who, (laughs) who, who uh, like had, you had to attend a membership class before you could actually join the church. You could come forward to join the church, but then we were going to go over some things and make sure that you understand what we believe before we actually welcome you into, uh, into the congregation. I know some, some Baptist pastors that do that. Um, and I was going to be the odd Baptist pastor because at our, at my church, we had, we had the Lord's supper every month instead of once a quarter, uh, because I just, I believed it was that important. I wasn't at the point where I would say that, Christ was present in the cup and in the bread, but uh, that there was something very, very holy about it and sacred about it. And, and we should do it more than just once a quarter. Let's do it every mm-hmm. month. Mm-hmm. Um, so at, and I enjoy being, cause I realize I'm an odd person. Most of the time <laughs> I enjoy being odd. Uh, I enjoy being a nerd. Um, so when all this started to me, it was just, being an odd Baptist, being a weird Baptist. Um, and when I first woke up to the fact that, oh no, th- this is not making me an odd Baptist. This is just making me a not Baptist. <laughs> um, it was, it was scary, but my first and probably strongest emotional reaction was I, I was more sad than anything. Mm-hmm. Um, because now, at that point, I was a father and a husband, still I'm a husband and father, but was a pastor and kind of felt the most connected to my dad and to my, my grandfathers in that way. And also the church that I was at, the church I, I had the, the joy of pastoring for two and a half years, I absolutely loved. 
and I mm-hmm. love the people there. And so when I first knew deep down that where I was going was going to lead me away from that and away from them, um, I, I remember being really sad. In fact, I remember it was probably October or November. I was going to the church. I don't remember if it was a Wednesday night or like a Sunday. I think it was a Sunday afternoon. I We'd gone home and I was going back to the church to teach the Sunday evening um, kind of Bible study, small groups, what we did instead of having a Sunday night service. I just kind of turned it into a small group for the, the older congregants who still wanted us to, to do something on Sunday nights. And they had been having choir practice. And so there were some cars there from folks who were there for choir practice. I was there early to kind of finish getting my notes together. And I remember getting out of my car, closing the door, looking at the church. I think I saw a couple people go in for choir practice. And I love Christmas. They're working on Christmas music. I love Christmas music. I love Christmas musicals. Love preaching Christmas sermons. <laughs> and I just had this thought this realization and i as soon as i thought it i knew it was true i thought i this is the last time i'm ever gonna do this year Mm. um it's like this time next year i will not be here and that year uh the music minister and i were working on um instead of instead of purchasing kind of a christmas cantata to perform like he would have done he found one that he liked a lot of the songs but he didn't um, didn't really care for the narration in between. Mm-hmm. And so he and I were working, we were rearranging some of the songs. I was rewriting the narration. And so we were, it was something he and I were really putting together ourselves and it was really special. It was a lot of fun. Um, and just that moment when I yeah. knew like, this is going to be the last time I do this here. And this time, this time next year, I'm, I'm not going to be here. And wow. yeah. that was that just really, really um, I don't know, broke my heart, maybe too strong of a phrase and too cliche, but, but I really, really felt that um, mm. because I'd been there at that point a little over two years and six months before then, uh, maybe if not even a less amount of time than that, if you'd asked me, how long do you think you'll be at East Maine? I would have said, I mean, I'd like to be here forever. Um, mm. I really liked the town. It was a small town. Every town in South Arkansas is a small town, but it had enough of it had a, a nice little downtown area. It was a small town, but it had enough of a personality that at least for me, it didn't feel smothering and it didn't feel dead. I, I just, I really liked the town. I loved the people that I got to, to pastor and got to serve and got to teach. And so, yeah, six months before that, um, if you'd asked me and, and I had been asked, like, how long do you think you'll be here? I'd hire, we'd hired a youth minister and he and I were both like, loved the church, loved where we were at. Both wanted that to be the last church we were ever at. Just wanted to serve mm-hmm. there until mm-hmm. we couldn't serve anymore. The music minister there had been there 30 something years. We just like, wow. we want to be like, true it. We just want to be here until we're ready to retire. Mm-hmm. Um, and so to stand there, the parking lot, look at the church and see those people going in and kind of wave at them and just get this dead set i mean absolutely certain there was no way um i could talk my way out of it knowing i was going to leave the church at that point and it still was a few months several months after that before i 
got to the point where I knew I had to leave and then actually made myself leave. But, but that really was the moment when I knew I can't stay here. And even more and the scary stuff, like, Oh my word, how am I going to pay the bills came later. But in that moment I was just sad because I knew, I knew what I was going to be given up with those, with that church. I knew what I was going to give, be given up with, you know, like not being able to say I'm in the same business as my dad anymore, which I really love being able to say, yeah. uh, it just, I was like, man, this is, this is not where I thought I'd be. This is not really where I want to be, but it was where I was. Yeah. I can say why that would be hard. So, um, I've been asking all my guests this, uh, which is, do you have a coming out story? You know, I mean, obviously you would have had to like a moment when you had to announce <laughs> to the world, to friends yeah. and family, you know, that, Hey, I don't believe this thing anymore. I believe this thing now. I mean, you were living very publicly as a Baptist. So obviously yeah. you would have had to. So what's, what's your coming out story? Yeah. So it kind of like in my really close circle of like family and really close friends kind of started trickling out. Um, uh, probably even before that moment standing in the parking lot. Um, one of my best friends um, had been a Baptist youth pastor. He's actually my, my wife's brother, uh, younger brother. And he, he and I had become really good friends over the years and had kind of become to each other that person you could ask the question or make an observation to that if you, if you asked that question or said that thing out loud to any other Baptist person, you would be laughed at or you would have your faith questioned. Mm-hmm. Um, so he and I were on similar tracks. He was, he was ahead uh, of me on that. Um, but he would call me like, Hey Brian, what do you think about this? You know um, when Peter says baptism now saves you, if you weren't a Baptist, what would you say that means? Um, and so he knew because he, he's the one I had a lot of the conversations with. Um, and then he started, well, my wife is really, really good friends with one of my sisters. And so they talk about everything. So my sister knew, um, and then in a very Arkansan turn of events, <laughs> my sister started dating my wife's brother. Um, and so, yeah, my, basically my best guy friend started dating my wife's best girlfriend. Now that they're married, they got married back in February. Um, so that's how, that's how Arkansan we are. Um, so they knew. And then by the time they started dating, my wife's brother had pretty publicly announced that he was going to join the Catholic church. Hmm. Um, and so then my sister, he told my sister, he's like, you know, I really, I really like you. Maybe want to start dating. He's like, but this is, this is who I am. Um, and if I get married, I, I, I'm going to marry somebody who shares that with me. So my sister started asking questions and researching and reading and they're married now. So clearly she is also Catholic. Um, so that, and so she actually started publicly becoming Catholic before I started publicly becoming not Baptist. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so people would ask her, it caused kind of this big wave through the family <laughs> and she tried really hard to her credit to not let anybody else know that what my wife and I, what Kelly and I were kind of going through. But, you know, when somebody would say, have you even thought about these kind of things before you started dating him? 
be like, yeah, I've had conversations with people. And they'd be like, with who? She's like, well, talk with Brian and Kelly about it. It's like, mm, uh-huh. <laughs> Uh, and so then my dad came for a visit one Sunday and I sat down and had a talk with him. So it kind of started trickling out a little bit, you know, with family and close friends. Um, but it really like the big <laughs> coming out was, um, I decided and again, probably selfishly that, um, cause it was, it rolled over from November into the first of the year, got past Christmas and I knew going into the first of that next year of 2018 that I was going to resign sometime that year and probably mm -hmm. soon. Mm -hmm. And, <clears throat> and kind of once that door was opened, the door of, okay, I know by the end of this year, I'm not going to be a Baptist started opening. Well, then it's just, it's like, didn't stop and it didn't slow down. <laughs> so they got to where I was going to have to resign soon because mm -hmm. I, I was, I wasn't even questioning now. I was giving answers that were not allowed. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, uh, but at that point, you're getting close to Easter. And so I decided uh, that I was not going to resign before Easter. Um, mm. I was not going to, as we're planning our, you know, big Easter extravaganza, neighborhood community outreach event, and our big Easter service, I'm not just going to leave them in a lurch in the middle of that. Mm. Um, so it's like, I'm going to resign after Easter. And so Easter that year, that was the year Easter was April 1st. Um, oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> and so then I had a deacon's meeting scheduled for the Tuesday after, for the third. Okay. Um, so I, I decided, Kelly and I talked about, I keep saying I decided because I'm the one being interviewed, but it is important to note, like, this was something my wife and I have walked through together. So I didn't do anything um, without talking to her and, you know, sure. I didn't resign until she was on board and knew that's agreed. That's what we should do. Um, so on April 3rd, I had a deacons meeting that evening and decided a week or so before that's when I'm going to, I'm going to resign. Uh, or that's where I'm going to go and sit down with the deacon and say, Hey, this is where I am. This is what's happened. Here's my resignation. You do with it what you want to do with it. Mm -hmm. Um, because, you know, at the, and at that point, I had been looking for a job. I couldn't I could not find a job to save my life. Mm -hmm. uh, and so we were sort of harboring this hope that maybe they'll say, all right, well. Just promise us like you're not going to preach anything that we would consider heresy for like <laughs> the next month and give us kind of a head start trying to find somebody and give you a head start. Anyway, that didn't happen. <laughs> Plus, they all started texting to each other and to me beforehand that they were going to try to go watch uh, i don't remember maybe it was i can only imagine it was one of the wanting <laughs> to go watch it together a lot of them and their wives after deacon's meeting <laughs> like all right well let's go eat here and i remember reading all those texts and being like ain't none of y'all gonna go <laughs> uh, because this deacon's meeting is gonna go a little long i don't think y'all are gonna be in the mood for for yeah, dinner and yeah. a bit no kidding. Um, and I was right. None of them went. And they were not in the mood for an <laughs> movie when I got done. Um, so we had some items of business we had to take care of. And, and man, I came so close to chickening out so many times. I just did not want to do it. I did not yeah, want to leave. Yeah. I did not want to have to deal with it. Um, I, just, I just did not want to. Um, but eventually we're starting to wind down. 
And, uh, and I said, all right, before we go, I've got to tell you all something. And so laid it out for him, um, try to make it as short, uh, and, and sort of as simple as possible. Like there are certain things Baptists believe that are present in our Baptist faith and message, which serves as our statement of faith that I'm at the point where it's not so much that I would phrase it differently. I just flat out don't agree with them anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, like if you were to ask a question and this is the Baptist answer, my answer would not just be worded a little oddly. It would just be completely different. Yeah. Um, and so they asked like, well, what things? And there were a lot at this point. So mm-hmm. I just tried to stick to a couple of the main ones like, baptism and and the lord's supper it says it's symbolic i don't think that's accurate i don't agree with that don't agree with uh, congregational autonomy Mm. um there's a line in the baptist faith the message that says they believe that the bible is what unites all believers like i don't think that's true either i think that's what christ and the holy spirit do and they're Mm. kind of not the same thing as the holy scriptures um and so, and then I just, I had an envelope and it had my letter in it and I handed it to him with like, look, this is my resignation. Um, and I said, I feel like, it's like, I don't, I need you to know, I don't want to leave. Like, I, I do not want to leave y'all. I love y'all so much, <laughs> but it would be completely dishonest and inappropriate and unethical and immoral of me to not hand you this. Um, mm-hmm. Because if I don't, then I'm lying to someone. Or if I don't, then I'm putting pressure on you. You know, I'm just, I'm not just going to sit there and say, Hey, I don't agree with y'all anymore. What are you going to do about it? Um, Cause I know pastors that have done that and that's just mm-hmm. not fair. That's just, that kills churches. It kills, it ruins sure. people. Yeah. Um, so I just, I, I knew I had to hand them the letter. So I handed them the letter and then I, I left the room Um I don't remember if I offered to, or they just asked me, he's like, Hey, would you step out while we, while we discuss this? So I went down to my office and sat there. Um, and then they, they called me back in and said, Hey, we, we accept your letter. And, and it was, it went as well as it could possibly go. Uh, they were, they were all, well, the ones that talked, some of them didn't really say anything. We're like, Hey, we, we want you to know, we really appreciate you doing this. And we know this wasn't easy. Um, and we really, pre- we just really appreciate your honesty. Um, and, you know, like we, we accept your letter of resignation. So, um, and so then it kind of went from there and kind of spread to the church through the, you know, unofficial communication channels that exist in all churches, regardless of whether they're Baptist or not. And um, after that, it did not get handled as well. I mm. think the shock wore off. Some emotions started coming into play. Uh, I had a few folks that were pretty mad at me. Um, but again, just because they're, the church is such a good place, most of the people were just like, we don't really understand. We don't really get it. Mm. I had one deacon who wasn't in the meeting who, who came and found me a couple of days later when I was packing up my office who literally sat in my office. And if you knew him, you, you would know this was very abnormal for this gentleman, <laughs> but he sat in my office and he cried trying mm. to talk me out of it. Mm. Uh, asking me if there was a way I could go back, we could have another meeting and I could like revoke what I said. Uh, 
because he was like, he said, it doesn't matter to me. He said, I don't care if you believe different about this or about that. He's like, you're my pastor. I love you. I want you to stay. Um, wow. And it's just that literally, that was the moment that broke my heart because I was mm-hmm. like, I love being your pastor and I want to stay, but I, mm-hmm. I can't. It just, I can't. Yeah. Um, you know, because if the church, said hey you know what we don't want to be baptist either (laughs) that i could but it was very much a baptist church and i Mm -hmm. did not i didn't want to get to a point where staying would cause division or start to unintentionally even pull them in a direction that i knew they didn't really want to go Mm -hmm. so um so then after that i I like made an announcement on facebook and then started writing a couple blog posts like, all right, kind of, here's the story. Here's what happened. Um, and that's really when I started getting the most <laughs> pushback from some folks, uh, not even folks in my church, but other pastors, uh, in the area who, um, really did not appreciate me publicly saying anything that about how I wasn't a Baptist anymore. Mm-hmm. Basically the argument was, you used to be a Baptist pastor a few months ago. You're not anymore, but you used to be. So don't say anything like that. It was pretty much the other one. Um, I'm not sure I follow that argument. <laughs> I didn't either. He was like, "You're using, he's like, you're using your authority as a Baptist pastor to to say these things that'll undermine people's faith." And I'm like, the whole point of it was me saying, "Here's why I'm not a Baptist pastor anymore." Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah, but in some people's mind, they still see you as that. I'm like, yeah, and I'm trying to fix that. I'm trying to let people know that's not who I am. Um, well, you know, I really appreciate your restraint in not like going up on April 1st to preach an Easter sermon and then being like, <laughs> April Fools, baptism now saves you. <laughs> here's here's the thing um, <laughs> about that. Um the three I was at that church for three Easter Sundays, and uh-huh. it just sort of started this kind of fell into this pattern, and we did it each of the three Sundays where we structured our our service into um, into kind of like three acts. Uh-huh. So we had like it was basically I, I had like three kind of mini sermons. We had some congregational singing, so it would be I would get up and kind of preach the part of the message that kind of centered on the crucifixion. And then we had a song like a, a special or a choir solo or choir special that sang about that. And then we had a congregational song or two that was kind of like, in my mind, sort of a, okay, here's what we just learned about. Now we're going to kind of sing in response to that and kind of advance through that way. Uh, mm-hmm. The second one more about the resurrection, the third one kind of like, all right, what do we do now? What does this mean to us mm-hmm. that this is true? So the last Easter, which is that April 1st one, um, I made it as Baptist as I could. (laughs) But at that point, I know I'm not Baptist anymore. And I'm up there and I'm talking about like this most important thing ever. And so I probably did not constrain myself as much as I should have. I didn't get up and say baptism now saves you, but... um, I, I don't remember the exact passage I used, but it was it was Paul talking about basically how we're to wait for the, the resurrection and kind of working while you wait. And um, and I did say, you know, at one point it's like, hey, if you this is what Paul lays out for us to do, 
the resurrection means this to us. It means this is how we spend our days. And Paul cautions us that if we do not wait, I think the phrase I use, if we don't wait in a worthy manner, when Christ comes, we may find that we waited in vain, which is as close as you can say in a Baptist sermon, you will lose your salvation if you don't do what you're supposed to do, as you're allowed to say in a Baptist sermon. So I did not get up and say April Fool's baptism now saves you. But if if even my wife afterward was like, you danced a little close to the line there. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I was like, but you and I are the only people here who know that I'm even looking at the line. So no one else is really going to notice. But if you hadn't, uh, and my brother-in-law, my Catholic brother-in-law was also there. And he was also like, yeah, he's like, I know where you've been, like where your mental headspace has been. So you were preaching that. And I was kind of looking around like, is anybody going to notice what he's saying? <laughs> um, so, but no one did. <laughs> hmm. So were you guys, you were you guys like a reformed Baptist congregation, like a once saved, always saved kind of? Oh yeah. yeah, yeah, very much so. I mean, very I know that's not like universal in in the in the Baptist faith. Um, pretty close, not quite, but no, but yeah, it's it's pretty close. Okay, okay. I, th- I think that that is actually in some permutation of that is in the Baptist faith the message somewhere. Kind of a mm-hmm. it doesn't say once saved, always saved, but it says it in you know, in not so many words. Sure. So um, I want to ask about when you quote unquote came out to your uh, your parents um, and or your grandparents and you, I mean you you've talked a lot about how you have deep roots in uh, Baptist evangelism so I mean what, what was what was it like telling your telling your dad and whoever else? Well, it it went it went with my dad. It went a lot better than I probably well I figured at this point I figured it would probably go pretty well with that um had it happened a couple or three years ago it may not have but um like my my family my not my so much my wife and my kids but my siblings my dad my mom had been through a lot of stuff in the year two years three years leading up to that so to put to put a clear picture on it my parents divorced uh in that time or they separated and oh and wow the divorce was finalized uh late last year early this year oh gosh um and through all of i'm sorry i, I was just gonna say was that hard on you or is that I mean, oh yeah that yeah. that really that was really hard uh we had always um as much as i said earlier that my identity was wrapped up in in the baptist faith and it was more of it had been wrapped up in that sort of familial identity um as this is you know this is who we are as a family this is what we believe this is what we do this is what we don't do and so that just just my word got obliterated Hmm. um and so it's yeah it caused like i've got six siblings um you know and when that happens and your parents separate you know some are going to kind of take one parent side and some are going to take the other parent side even if you don't mean to you just you kind of have to especially when when one of the parents is is being a little bit more uh anakin skywalker if you're not with me you're against me sort of (laughs) approach to it um so that was just i mean just blew up literally um fragmented uh my family and and through it all my dad had a couple of his kids that 
for the most part, don't speak to him anymore. Um, and so, and it really obviously, you know, messed my dad up. And so like really threw him a curveball, um, threw him for a loop and he went back and it's like, man, what did I, what did I do wrong? What should I have done differently? Um, I don't, you know, he, he even, and he admitted this, he's like, I went through a phase where he's like, well, if all this is happening to me, or if I've, you know, if I've, uh, you know, been so, um, wrong and how I've related to your mom and to you kids, then am I even a Christian? I mean, if all this is my fault, if I did all this, can I be a Christian and have, and be responsible for, you know, this family, um, demolition? So all that to say, my dad, my dad has never been a super dogmatic guy anyway. He's, he's very easygoing. Mm -hmm. Um, but he was even less predisposed to be dogmatic now Mm -hmm. than he would have been, you know, three years ago. So when he and I talked and at that point he knew something was up, um, he was, you know, very quiet, very understanding, you know, one question he asked me, he's like, well, are you, you know, you still sola scriptura or, you know, he said it in whatever, like the Greek or Latin, I don't know. I don't, he pronounced it. He didn't say, are you, you know, scripture only. He pronounced it in the, the reformed way that the, <laughs> the real reformed people say it. And, uh, and I, I think I probably even laughed a, a tad because <laughs> I was like, so not at that point. Mm-hmm. It was like, nah, dad, I'm, I'm not, um, and, you know, we talked a little bit about why, like, I, I'm not, it's like, I don't really think the Bible even is. <laughs> um, so if it's not, then I'm not really going to be, um, but we left it at, he was like, well, do you still love Jesus? And I, was, and I just thought, well, yeah, dad, I, I still love Jesus. Like that's, <laughs> that's what all this is about yeah. is I'm not doing this because I don't love Jesus anymore. I'm doing this because I love Jesus and I, mm-hmm. and I'm convinced that because I love Jesus, this is what I need to do. This is what I need to change. And so he said more or less his exact words was, if you still love Jesus, that's good enough for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it has been, mm-hmm. you know, um, still really close. See moving to where we moved, we've moved up to Northwest Arkansas to go to Fayetteville. We live about 45 minutes from my dad now. So we get to see him a little more often um love getting to see him the kids my kids love seeing papa and love playing with him so you know that conversation with him went really well and what's transpired since then between us especially about that has gone really well like i said earlier i'm i'm as close now with my dad as i've ever been closer than i was you know probably even even a few years ago um Mm -hmm. and then with my grandfather uh, well, the grandfather on my dad's side, my dad's um, father, who was the professor at the flagship uh, Bible college, is very much like my dad in that way. I'm sure he has opinions about it that he keeps himself. He's a quiet guy. But mm-hmm. uh, the first time we went to see them after I had sort of after the coming out had sort of happened, uh, and he knows at that point I'm planning on going to law school. He loves education. So he was he was very supportive of that. And he told me, I didn't know this, but like his bachelor's is from a Baptist college. His master's is from a Methodist school and his doctorate, I believe, is from a Presbyterian school. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) So he is much more sort of ecumenically minded than Mm -hmm. than I would have thought. And then uh, and more than some other folks would give him credit for, because the people that have taken this the worst and have like uh, openly 
attacked me <laughs> are people that would count themselves among my grandfather's biggest fans. Hmm. <laughs> people that That's took classes from him at his wow. college. Yes, it is, it is very interesting. Hmm. So those conversations went well. And then other people, other, um, you know, uh, well, I'll put it this way. The conversations I've had with family and friends have gone well. Mm-hmm. And then the conversations I haven't had with other family and friends have also gone well. <laughs> if that makes sense. That does make sense. That does make sense. I feel like I am. Um, I feel like I have to ask, like, you know, you've kind of explained what led you toward, you know, kind of inching towards more traditional understandings of like the sacraments and the church and that sort of thing. Um, but I, I feel like I need to ask what in particular led you to Eastern Orthodoxy, you know, like why not say Catholicism or for that matter, Anglicanism or, you know, shout out to my tradition, Lutheranism, you know, like what, <laughs> why, uh, why Eastern Orthodoxy in particular? That is a really good question. And I mean, and... especially when you have like friends and family members converting to Catholicism, you know, like why not just follow them across the Tiber? Why did, why did you feel yourself drawn to, to Orthodoxy? Part of it goes back to the fact that I'm a very odd person. Uh, and I, I like will readily admit that like my personal eccentricities contribute to this. Uh, and also readily admit that I grew up in a culture uh, like family and also sort of immediate cultural surroundings like the denomination I grew up in and the homeschool community we were part of that was, you know, sort of ranged from um not so much uh apathetic towards sort of this aggressive which doesn't make any sense but like an aggressive apathy towards catholicism is like the milder form <laughs> of it to <laughs> yeah no that doesn't make any sense but like <laughs> like kind of like well we don't really care about catholicism but man if you're going to make me talk about it i'm going to tell you what i think <laughs> uh, kind of a thing to like, I don't know if you're familiar with chick tracks. Yeah, have you ever I encountered those. Yeah, Jack way? Trick. Have you ever? Yeah, have you ever encountered the ones where he talks about Catholicism? Oh, of course, yes. <laughs> yeah, so that was also included in in uh, what I grew up around. Like, Kent Hovine, if you know who he is, if you don't, googling, it's a great story. Um, he was like a poor man's. Ken Helm, like uh, <laughs> the, like poor man who's also a conspiracy theorist. Like <laughs> picture Mel Gibson from the movie Conspiracy Theory, who's also a creation scientist, and that's Ken Hovind, <laughs> with air quotation marks around the word scientist. Mm-hmm. Um, but he hated Catholicism. Like Catholicism <laughs> was founded. It's basically like a pagan cult that worshiped goddesses with just christian icing on it like the catholic church literally the catholic church is the horror babylon uh, <laughs> and the antichrist is the pope so i grew up around some of that too so i can't tell you <clears throat> and i told my brother and all this when he went to catholicism i ended up not i was like i can't i'm just being honest with you it's like probably part of the reason i'm not catholic is because I don't. I, I've still got those prejudices built up in the back of my mind, even though I dismiss the vast majority of them now. <laughs> Just the thought of 
saying I'm Catholic. Like, I can't say that. Like, even if I don't think Catholics are the devil, I just I can't say that. Uh, but like my older three kids, I'll go to a Catholic school now. So, yeah. you know, I'll uh-huh. my way there. But um, it, it did kind of a become, it did kind of become an all or nothing kind of a jump. Mm-hmm. Like, I couldn't go, I wasn't going to go halfway, you know, or like a quarter of the way to like Presbyterianism <laughs> or something. I did look, we did consider Anglicanism. We did look at that. Um, uh, but along the way, uh, the idea of apostolic succession became pretty important to me and something that I, uh, I found very resonant. And in, in my mind, I, you can support it with scripture uh, and particularly going back to Philip and the eunuch, uh, I think that story kind of points towards um, apostolic succession or, or at the very least points to the idea that the gospel is meant to be something you encounter in a living being mm-hmm. of sorts rather than this sort of text based understanding and text based religion. Sure. And so that started really kind of narrowing down the options and when I started to look at orthodoxy and study orthodoxy um, and this is sort of where, you know, the logical reasoning probably starts to break down a tad and the emotional reasoning starts to carry a lot of weight. And according to who you ask, maybe, maybe more weight than it should, mm-hmm. but uh, orthodoxy was just, is very weird, <laughs> but it was just so beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is, coming out of gosh dang it my commencement was ruined because donald trump <laughs> was the speaker and going to southern baptist national conventions where they had to turn the microphone off so that no one would see that one of the architects of the conservative resurgence was trying to argue in favor of the confederate flag from the floor <laughs> and yes we are for, you know, uh, we are for racial harmony, but we don't really want to have a resolution on the floor <laughs> that condemns the alt-right and right supremacy because that could hurt people's feelings. <laughs> so, and some people have said, well, that's why you left Baptist faiths because you got your feelings hurt and that kind of stuff. And it's <laughs> it's really not because to me, the Baptist faith was so much more about the people I got to be with every week mm-hmm. at my church than it was about the politics and stuff. But mm-hmm. I just the world was getting so ugly to me yeah um that i wanted and needed something beautiful to look at something beautiful to be a part of yeah um or i just felt like i was just going to get sucked into that cesspool and Mm -hmm. never get out again yeah um and so, and there's, I think there's a lot of things I think are beautiful about the Catholic church and the Anglican church. And I never went to a Lutheran service. So I don't, <laughs> I can't give you, probably there too. Um, but the first time we went to an Orthodox service, we, it was actually the, a few days after I resigned and, um, it was, it was, they had, they were having celebrating Easter the week, wasn't two weeks, it was actually one week after, mm-hmm. um, the Western church was. And so we went on a Friday afternoon. We, we were just like oblivious to how Orthodox do things. So most of the families at this church have like taken the whole weekend off from work on Friday uh, or even some Thursday. 
and there were there were things going on at the church pretty much nonstop if you wanted to be there. Um, uh, there were liturgies, there were vespers and prayer services. There was the uh, um, the praying all night. They take shifts and pray all night before um, basically that they're standing at the tomb of Christ and and reciting reading psalms. And it's just Easter weekend is this big big deal mm-hmm. um and we didn't know that we just went to we decided we we're gonna go to one random service on friday <laughs> and um we actually ended up going to the service where they sort of symbolically uh take christ down from the cross so they have this cross and they have uh, like a wooden kind of like a cutout. it's flat it's two-dimensional of jesus on the cross and then at one point in the liturgy the priest and um the the altar boys and the the serve those that are serving at the altar they go and they they take him down they have this cloth they wrap him in and all the children that are there gather around they hold the cloth and it's literally like the children are the ones taking him down from the cross where the priest takes him down and then it's the children who wrap him up who sort of pay homage to him in that way and then he's carried back into behind the echinostasis into into what sort of represents the tomb um and i i I started tearing up watching as my older as my kids um went and participated in that and and faith became something that they could see and touch and hold and carry in ways that was just so outside the norm for how baptists so often perceived or talked about or went about faith Mm -hmm. which is really to emphasize the internal intellectual kind of aspect of it right Um, this is something that happened all you got to do is assent to it and you're good yeah you know yeah yeah and and seeing faith um seeing the gospel portrayed in that way and presented in that way and and the church be like yeah this is how we do it all the time mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. this is this is what faith is faith is not just what you believe in your heart it's gathering here it's taking the the cup and the bread and it's being baptized and it's all these things all of these things are part of it yeah and all of those things were beautiful to me yeah um and so it was really i saw that and and i was pretty much I was pretty sure that's where I was going to go anyway. Um, but it was kind of like from that moment on, I was just like, that's, I was like, this is, this is it. This yeah. is, um, and not to be too over too melodramatic, but it literally was like finding, um, finding the full measure. It was like, it was like there had been this melody or this tune in the back of my head, like all my life. Mm-hmm. And when I went to that service, I like heard the full orchestrated version of it for the first time. And was like, mm-hmm. this is what I have. This is <laughs> in a weird way. I was like, this is what I've always been and just didn't know it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No. And I'm sure, I'm sure like me sitting here as a Lutheran talking like this, I'm sure I, you know, I sound like the little, the little brother running along saying me too, me too. But um, yeah, no, that's yeah. definitely what drew me, you know, cause I was, I was raised like low church Presbyterian. Um, that's definitely what drew me to more traditional forms of Christianity was just this, this, um, this uh, clear, idea that you know the the crucifixion the resurrection there's they're not just these things that happened 
ones that you just, you kind of sign your name to and you're good. You know, it's like, no, this is Jesus body. This is Jesus blood. You need this physically. Like this is something yeah. your body needs in a real way, you know? And it's, yeah. So I, I can definitely um, relate to that. Um, yeah. Yeah. And that, and that service and, and the Orthodox services we've gone to since then, I've, I've always loved again, cause I'm a weird nerd person. <laughs> I've always loved the gospel of John and I've always loved revelation. Revelation is such a weird <laughs> book, but I've always loved it. And one of the parts I've always loved is revelation four and five. When you have that, that sequence in John's, um, vision where they're falling down before the throne and there's this magnificent worship sequence and then the the lamb comes and open the seals and 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 the orthodox liturgy and the service reminds me of that scene so much um and i remember i mentioned that to the priest one time and he he just almost laughed he's like well yeah that's, that's the whole point <laughs> that's what we're yeah that's the whole point that's what we're He's like, we believe that when we gather and we do that, we are joining basically what you see in Revelation 4. We're, we're part of that. Yeah. We're, we're like yeah. mystically, mysteriously joining in that praise. Um, and, you know, we're, we're taking part of the Eucharist, the lamb that is sitting there on the throne. And at that point, it's like, okay, yeah, I'm in, man. This is, <laughs> <laughs> this is, where, this is where I need to be. So did you ever sit down with your Catholic brother-in-law and like hash out once and for all, which of you guys belongs to the one true holy <laughs> apostolic church? Um, we have not. We've actually <laughs> joked. Uh, we, we've talked about uh, actually having our starting a podcast where we sort of talk about things from the perspective, from the shared perspective of both being former Baptist, but also diverging and he's Catholic now and I'm a catechumen uh, in the Orthodox. So we do joke around sometimes that finally, now that we're here, we're going to get them. We're going to get the two halves of the church put back together again. Um, but we, we literally, we pick at each other about it all the time. Like the only time we do not like in, in, in a uh, good humor and with all the love in the world bash each other, for being the, you know, for not being Catholic or not being Orthodox is when we're hanging around with my family who gets uncomfortable when we talk about those things. So <laughs> our wives are like, you cannot make those jokes here. They're like, I'll make the first subtle jab at him or he'll make the first subtle jab at me. And one or both of our wives are just like, you got to stop this now. <laughs> like, you got to stop this before it reaches a level where all the Protestants in the room figure out what you're talking about. <laughs> That is wonderful. I love it. <laughs> I love it. Um, so, you know, one of my questions that I ask, and we, we might have gotten into this already, but if you, you know, if you have something to add, how has your life changed since your beliefs changed? Um, I mean, obviously your life changed a lot. Um, yeah. But is, I mean, is there anything you'd like to add there? <laughs> I mean, it's definitely changed a lot um, in some ways that we expected, like we knew uh, that we were going to be in some serious transition mode for a while going from, you know, being pretty settled in a vocation to starting from scratch on another one. Uh, even though law was something I had wanted to practice before I went into ministry, it was not something I'd gotten particularly far down the road on. So, um, 
I start classes in the uh, you know, later this month. And in the year leading up to this month, I have crammed 42 hours worth of credits in to finish my undergraduate to get an actual accredited undergraduate degree so I could then qualify for admission into a law school. Um, so it's been, and we, but we knew that was going to happen. We knew that was going to be hard. Um, it's been a little harder than we thought, I think. Um, literally a couple weeks before I resigned from the church, we found out my wife was pregnant with our fifth child. Oh, wow. Um, and so we welcomed the fifth child into our home back in November, like a, literally a couple days after Thanksgiving. Um, we've moved from South Arkansas to Northwest Arkansas, which is actually a big change. I know people anti-Arkansans think it's all the same all over the place, but it's not. <clears throat> We've, and there's just been this sort of continual fallout in ways that we didn't really expect. We, my wife and I were both homeschooled all of our lives. We homeschooled our kids up to this point, And now um, we had an opportunity and they're, they're going to, to a Catholic school uh, up here in Fayetteville which is never in the world, never, ever would we have thought we would not homeschool our kids, hmm. let alone send our kids to a school that is run and funded by the literal horror of Babylon. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, but that's just, that's where we are. That That's what made the most sense yeah. for us. And then had this marvelous opportunity to be able to financially afford to send them there, sure. uh, which was like almost I would have thought was impossible and yet yeah. it, it happened. Um, so that's changed, you know, it's, it's changed our relationship with some folks. We've gotten closer to some uh, further away from others. It's, it's changed our relationship with each other as I'm, you know, I've just sort of run pell mell down this road, um, <laughs> it, you know, feeling so much more at home in a sense with each step. And then having to realize that just because that's true for me doesn't mean it's true for my wife, who sure. um, is sort of uh, at a place where she's like, well, I know I I don't agree with all the stuff we used to believe, but I, I don't. Does that mean we're here? You know, it's just sure. it's <clears throat> the, the shock and sort of the initial shock of the decision has worn off to the point where it's like, OK, we, we have to we really have to agree on all this stuff and, and it's just, it's hard, yeah. you know, and, and you kind of, even while you're running and this is something she and I both experience, even while you're running for me, running towards where I know I'm supposed to be, there's so much like we're sort of unlearning mm -hmm. about what faith looks like and then relearning as we go and trying to trying to get from point A to point B, there's a whole lot of deconstruction. And then you're also trying to, you're trying to build up this over here while you're trying to tear down that over there and figure out which, which material transfers and what material doesn't, you know, mm -hmm. what pieces can you just kind of pick up and put in your new building? <laughs> uh, and what pieces do you really have to just strip all the way down and throw it out for scrap and go build new stuff? Sure. Um, so you know, it's, it's, I, I, two years ago, the version of me that existed two years ago, I don't think would recognize who I am now, mm -hmm. both in good ways and, <laughs> yeah, and maybe not so good ways. Um, 
but it's yeah it's been such a wild ride and and uh oddly enough we're the kids going to school and then me starting school pretty soon is probably going to bring the first sense of like normalcy to our lives since it happened because mm-hmm. we had been moving out of our house and moving in with her family for a little bit while we figured out where we we're going to go to school relocating up here looking for a job to work up here till school starts trying to figure out what the kids were going to do with school um so now it's kind of like settle you know we're starting to settle a little bit mm-hmm. um settle into law school which is going to be all kinds of crazy but at least settle into something so sure. uh, it's changed pretty much every aspect of my life has changed <laughs> Um, so would you say you're pretty evangelistic about your new beliefs? Do you <laughs> try to um, convince people of them or is that? Oh, no, I, I'm not really. Um, I don't mind talking about it. Uh, I enjoy talking about it as long as, A, I know the person across the table isn't going to try to fight me. Sure. Um, which a old me, two years ago, me would have been like, oh, yeah, fight me, man. Let's do this. Let's throw down. Um, but I'm just, I, I, I'm, I don't care as much, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I've stopped caring so much about whether I'm right, uh, which is, you know, to some is terrible. I don't, I don't, ca- I care about being right. I always have and I always will. <laughs> but um, at the same time, somebody can like, somebody could rip into a blog post of mine um, about, cause I periodically blog about, okay, here's why I've changed what I believe about this point or mm-hmm. that point. Mm-hmm. And I mean, somebody could post and like, well, this is why all this is wrong. It would bug me some, but not <laughs> near as much. Cause I'd be like, yeah, okay. You make good points, but there's more to life than points. <laughs> sure. Um, yeah. I so, mean, I, I'd say there's probably, there's probably a difference between like caring about being right. Like, believing things that are true versus caring about being recognized as right or like proving yeah. people wrong. Right. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm kind of gotten to a place, not, you know, not to sound like new agey or Zen <laughs> or anything, but well, like you to, are of an to, Eastern <laughs> faith now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> as we've um, discussed. <laughs> um, you know, to me, I've kind of, well, I've kind of gotten to a point where I like, I've, part of my philosophy is what is good and true will also be beautiful. Mm-hmm. And so if what you tell me is good and true, even if it logically kind of makes sense, but if it's not beautiful, something's wrong with it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm not really prone to argue on what's true from the point of just sort of raw facts and intellectual you know data alone but what is what is shown to be good through the beauty that it produces that that matters to me Um, and that's hard to have in an argument easier to have in a conversation um and in a relationship so if it's somebody that I can have a conversation with instead of an argument, I'll talk about it or mm-hmm. somebody I have a good relationship with where I know I I know they're not or I hope they're not going to feel threatened by me saying that I don't agree with them anymore. This is mm-hmm. what I believe then then I don't mind having those conversations. But there are people that feel 
or at least act as if they feel threatened. Maybe I don't want to project that may not be what they feel, mm-hmm. but that's sort of what their reaction leads to. So, you know, with those folks, like I, it doesn't really matter, you know, yeah. especially if it's somebody I know pretty well. And I know that they're very faithful to their local church. They're faithful in their Bible study. They're faithful and they're faithful in exercising their relationship with Christ the best way they know how to do it. Then, mm-hmm. you know, it's not really my place to come and, club them over the head with my icons and be like no <laughs> you must pray to saint telemachus so. i would actually enjoy watching that like watching you <laughs> the icons. that could be entertaining um all right so fine i mean finally aside from um your new beliefs themselves you know like your what would you say you learned from the experience of changing your mind this is a very unbaptist thing to say which is okay because i'm very unbaptist now but <laughs> I've learned that what you what you do, how you do it, and and to some extent also why you do it is pretty darn important mm-hmm. and in some ways more important than what you believe to be true. Mm-hmm. I keep I keep going back to the book of James where in his epistle James says something uh to the effect of it's like you believe like good for you he said and then he says and i don't think this is a verse that i i memorized the book of james when i was a kid Mm. this verse never really stuck i never really noticed it so much except that it just sounded kind of funny Mm. um but he says you believe he basically says good for you and then he adds the demons believe it's like (laughs) and they tremble they're terrified (laughs) but they believe yeah and just the more i kind of think about thought about it the more i think about it now that they know they in some ways they believe more truly than we do mm-hmm. uh, than a lot of humans do they they know more powerfully in a some sense that Jesus is the son of god because they saw him in his glorified form before they fell mm-hmm. they believe they believe they know all the right things but it does not save them right um and that should be terrifying. That and, and the uh, passage in the Gospels, uh, I believe it's in Matthew and probably also in Luke, where you know they confront Jesus uh, on his throne in the Day of Judgment. And it's like, didn't we we cast out demons for you? Didn't we do all these things for you? Didn't we basically didn't we believe all the right things? And Jesus is, says, I don't I don't know who you are, you know. And I just thought, what a how thoroughly. Do you have to hide yourself for God to look at you and say, I do not know you, mm-hmm. um, you know, and and the thought and the realization that sort of intellectualism from those passages and you can look at other passages, too. But in particular, from those passages, an intellectual faith, mm-hmm. an inner faith is not enough. Mm-hmm. Um was just sort of okay. Well, then, what is not, what what is God looking for? Yeah, and you start really paying attention to that. You see, He looks for things that are observable, that are real, that you know are. And the one word I've used uh, and probably overused it and misused it is He looks for things that are incarnated. Right. He looks for things that are that are living. Sure. Um, and so, putting more of an emphasis on that, you know. Uh, how how do you love how do you 
live, which is you know, now it's getting all sorts of cliche up in here, but <laughs> but that's that's what matters. Well, you know, yeah, that's what matters I mean, I so feel much. like that's true. Like even outside of like a religious context of like if you yeah, say exactly. I believe this, but you don't act on it. Like in what sense do you really believe in it? You know, mm-hmm. I mean, like the mundane example is like if you say you believe it's going to rain and you don't bring your umbrella or your raincoat, like do you really believe it's going to rain? You know, yeah. Um, maybe that's a, maybe that's even cheesier than what you were saying, but you know, I mean, there is, <laughs> well, you know, there is a reality to that. Um, it's at least that was better than the one. You know, if you believe this chair will support you, but you don't sit on the chair, do you really believe <laughs> the chair will support you? Which is the one I heard through most of my uh, my you know, youth group uh, exposures to those sorts of cliches. (laughs) (laughs) But it is true. And that's, and that's, again, that's something that by and large, um, even, even Baptists, it's something by and large they accept as true in every sort of avenue, except that one. Like a man says he loves his kids, but he beats them and he abuses them and he never does anything loving towards them. Well, then obviously he doesn't love his kids. (laughs) Um, but when you try to flip that around and bring it, okay, well, you say you love Christ, but you don't do these things like, well, yeah, but I said the prayer back in the day, <laughs> like, oh, well then we are, we must be all good then. All right. So I have three, um, final questions. I want to ask everyone who comes on the show, just kind of open-ended, uh, philosophical questions. Um, try, try to see in the long term, if we can kind of get at the, this question of like, how do we know what truth is? How do we know ourselves? Um, so first of all, what is identity? Do people have an identity? Is identity vital? Where does identity come from? What do you think? Well, all of my evangelical apologetics training, of which I have a fair amount, <laughs> uh, says that, of course, everyone has an identity. And I would largely probably still say that's true but the impression i came away with from studying apologetics and studying about identity um was or led me to the idea that identity is more internal it's kind of about who you think you are your identity is and this is something you see in movies and inspirational films and songs and all that kind of stuff like you know you're more than what you look like, more than what you do. Your identity is this sort of deep inside part of you that belongs only to yourself and no one else. And I don't, I don't think that's true <laughs> so much. Um, in part because it's a little, maybe a tad bit Gnostic mm-hmm. to think that your identity is not tied to your physical self. Mm-hmm. Um, At the very least, but it's Freudian. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I my only real experience or knowledge of uh, of Freud comes from watching Frasier. So uh, <laughs> I mean, what else do you lot. need? What else do you need? <laughs> um, so I think everyone has an identity, but I do think it's a little bit more tactile and a little bit more um, flesh and blood, mm-hmm. although not just flesh and blood. Um, but but again, going back to sort of the I hate the term faith journey, but the faith journey <laughs> I've, I've gone on is sort of making faith a more flesh and blood uh, thing, you know, looking at the fact that Christianity is built not around a book, but around a person, around uh, not 
the truth as a as a written word, but the truth as an incarnated human being, then when you come back to identity through that lens, it it becomes much more your identity is what you do uh, or what you don't do. Uh, your identity is the context you were raised in, or even the place you were raised. Um, it's not so much what you want to be. It's, it's who you are. Uh, so don't, I don't, I guess I'm not a, I don't have a firm hand yet on what sort of what identity fully looks like or how to concisely put it in that context. But like, we'll just, I've always sort of, like I said earlier, I'm, I'm a very academic kind of guy. I love books. I love school. I love studying. Um, and so always sort of viewed myself as uh, in that vein, like I am an academic, you know, or because mostly because I wanted to be, but also realizing, especially in the past year and a half, when I've sort of had to be a little bit more blue collar just to pay the bills because I had to work at um, production facilities uh, currently I work at the Chick-fil-A about 10 minutes from where I live because it was a job I could get and that's where I work. Are worked. you sure you're not Baptist? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, but sort of realizing, and, and then also the what I went through and, and sort of the grind I went through the past year to finish my undergrad realizing, you know what, I'm, I'm much more of a blue collar kind of guy than I, guess give myself credit for i'm i am kind of a a a grinded out kind of guy you know i I don't just sit there and think my way through my problems i get my hands on it i you know i i I am more of a blue collar person than i had really ever considered myself and so that had never really been part of my identity before when my identity was just how i perceived myself but when i look at what my day-to-day life has looked like and is going to look like probably for a while longer, that is more true to who I am mm. is, you know, maybe a light blue collar, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but still, but still, you know, I just, I'm just more, I'm more blue collar than I thought I was. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm pretty much okay with that. That's, that's my identity, not for what I wish to be, or, you know, always dreamt or thought of myself to be. That's the identity that, you see in a day-to-day life is is more blue collar less you know ivory tower Mm -hmm. so yeah i think everybody has an identity i don't think everybody's honest about what it is uh and i can't quite tell you for sure how to how to pinpoint what it is but yeah i would say i think everyone has has one i don't think it's always static i think it can change and does change but but yeah i'd say it's there what about um, human nature? Do you think all people are the same in certain ways? Do we do we have an innate nature? Are we all just kind of blank slates? What do you think? Hmm. Um. Well, uh, going back to a little inside church baseball talk, I guess you know all people are created in the image of God, so there's there's that commonality. I think I don't think you can really hold the traditional church doctrines uh, much of any kind without saying in some way it's some aspect we're all the same 
whether you're looking particularly at we're all the same and that we're all created in God's image or we're all the same and that we're all fallen in Adam's sin or both. Sure. We all have things that are, are common, but also, uh, and, and to me, I don't know really how you can be a parent and think that everyone's a blank slate <laughs> in the sense that, and, and obviously, you know, not every all of my kids don't have the exact same experiences because some of them have older siblings some of them have younger siblings some of them have both uh, you know some of them i remember when daddy was a youth pastor some remember when he was a pastor and a couple of them aren't even going to remember that <laughs> dad will always have been a student or a lawyer um but man my kids are so different from mm-hmm. each other and they live in the same house they play with the same toys they watch the same shows they <laughs> listen to the same songs over and over again in the car uh, they go to bed at the same time. They eat the same food, and yet their personalities are are so distinct from each mm-hmm. other. Every you know, we we'd have uh, especially with like when we had our third kid. I remember thinking, well, this one will probably be more like the first one because so we had Gabrielle, and then we had Watson, and Watson was very different personality wise from Gabrielle. But here we are on an odd number again. So number three will probably be like number one. You know, he's not. He's not anything personality-wise like his sister. Mm-hmm. And then the fourth kid, you think, okay, well, he's going to be more similar to one of them because how many distinct personalities can you have? <laughs> well, you have at least four. And now that our fifth is crawling around and his personality comes out more, you're like, well, he's not that much like the other ones either. <laughs> so, um so no i don't think we're all blank slates i think we come out with some kind of uh unique stamp on us but uh you know how much of one uh, that i can say i like that and um finally what is truth how do you know truth is truth knowable can we know truth (laughs) the same question twice i'm okay with yeah so glad you saved the easy question (laughs) I think truth uh, truth is real. I can't think you could be. If I say if I don't say truth is real, I'm going to lose my orthodox catechumen <laughs> card too, um, along with my Baptist pastor card. Um, but I have been on you know a, a bit of a um, bit of a a trip uh, with how to relate to truth, how to view truth, and. Ultimately, what I come away with from studying scripture and studying, <coughs> excuse me, uh, the the historic traditions and teachings of the church is that truth is. Um, this sound really bad. This is going to sound really Christiany, but like, truth is a person. You know, <laughs> truth is is Jesus Christ. Um, which in some way is so weird to say <laughs> that you believe truth, like is a person but on the other hand it to me is so comforting mm. um, as somebody who loves books and studying but who's also married and in a really great relationship with a human being mm. knowing a person is so much more rewarding and so much better than knowing knowledge mm. than knowing books like i love books i i have been an avid reader since I was about four years old and learned to read 
by watching my older brothers learn and by trying to read the back of cereal boxes mm -hmm. until I finally pieced enough phonics together to read, but just enough phonics so that there are some words I will not say out loud in public because I know what it means, but I'm pretty sure I don't pronounce it correctly. <laughs> so I love reading. I love knowledge, but the, or the idea that truth is more a person and less an idea or less a piece of knowledge is both very weird, very strange, <laughs> but also to me very comforting and very beautiful because I know how fantastic it is to know a person mm -hmm. <laughs> and it's way better and more fulfilling and, and truer to what a human soul needs yes. than simply knowing facts or knowing books. Yeah. Uh, as much as I love facts and I love books, I love knowing uh, my wife and I love knowing my kids. I love knowing people and I'm not a people person, mm -hmm. but like, I love, uh, I love those people. I love other people too, but <laughs> I mean, and, and being able to know and rest in the idea that my relationship with the truth is going to look a lot more like my relationship with my wife and my kids than it is with my relationship to my law books for the next three mm. years is a really, really comforting thing to know. Mm. And a thing that feeds me and feeds my soul rather than uh drying it up and terrifying it <laughs> that is a good word i really appreciate that um cool thank you so much uh for being on the show it has been an absolute pleasure talking to you oh been been my pleasure i, I really really enjoyed it uh really did so uh, thanks thanks for having me sure. on sure Thanks. Yeah. So um, you got anything else to say to listeners? Got anything to plug? Um, well, as you said, I do blog uh, some, I, but I'm very sporadic. I'm not at all disciplined. <laughs> and I told my wife, one thing I told my wife, I said, one of the reasons you will probably in the long run be a better blogger than I am and have more success is because you are disciplined and I am not. <laughs> so you're going to, you're going to post things regularly uh, and give people like, this schedule like oh look here's something oh look here's something else and it's going to be consistent and mine is going to be like oh look here is uh this was the this was my thesis from my uh liberal arts degree if y'all want to read it um here's what i thought about toy story 4 a month later and why it's sort of like nietzsche uh so but i do post on there every once in a while and it's um crier by the wayside dot wordpress dot com because I'm too cheap and too poor to have a website I have to do <laughs> but while I'm while I'm plugging things my wife's blog which is infinitely better is that Thomas Crew um dot wordpress dot com and hers is a lot more fun to read than mine. And she talks about um, you know, she talks a lot about what it's, what it's been like <laughs> the past 18 months and, um, what are, uh, you know, what it's like changing, uh, sort of changing religions, uh, while you have a family and you have five kids and, uh, what it looks like when changing religion means your husband has to go back to school and you have to live on a really tight budget for a <laughs> while. So 
Uh, I'm going to plug anything. I'll plug my blog, but I'll also plug hers because hers is better than mine. <laughs> All right. And she's my wife, so. <laughs> All right. Well, this has been Changed My Mind with Luke T. Harrington. Um, please find me on Twitter at Luke T. Harrington or go to my website at LukeTHarrington.com. Thanks for listening. Bye, Internet. One of my favorite shows is BoJack Horseman on Netflix. And if you haven't seen it, you've probably at least heard of it. It's um, wildly popular, critically acclaimed. But for the record, I was into it before it was cool. <laughs> um, and I, you know, I actually started watching it like sh- very shortly after it hit Netflix, just because out of sheer boredom, I did not expect it to be particularly good. Um, the premise of the series is there's this character who is an anthropomorphized horse, but that rarely comes into the actual action of the, the show. Um, what he really is is kind of a pastiche of like Bob Saget and Tim Allen and you know maybe Bill Cosby before Bill Cosby fell so far from grace. Um, he was a phenomenally popular sitcom star in the 90s, and now he just kind of lives this meaningless, hedonistic life um, in this enormous mansion that, you know, he has basically all to himself except for this uh, other character who crashes on his couch and just, he just routinely abuses. Um, (laughs) Not like physically, but you know, you know what I mean? Um, And the first season of that show just absolutely came out of left field for me, just shook me to my core. And The reason for that is because it was so good at pretending to be something other than what it was. Um, When it started out, it was just kind of like, ha ha, look at this loser who was popular in the 90s and has done nothing since. And let's all gape at his empty hedonistic lifestyle. Um, And it's, you know, it's an animated series. Um, So, you know, you kind of got the vibe that it was just trying to be like the next family guy, you know, like, haha, it's a cartoon, but it has poop jokes. Isn't that funny? Um, but about halfway through the first season, its tone completely shifts. Um, the through line of this, of the series is that the character in the, in the first season, he's trying to write his autobiography. Um, and he can't write at all, so he hires this uh, ghostwriter. And as she writes his story, it's essentially holding up a mirror to him and showing him what a horrible, empty life he's lived. Um, and he, you know, he goes ends up in a really dark place um, as the season goes on, and. You know, the, the second to last episode, um, which is, you know, essentially the climax of the season, it, you know, it culminates with this uh, 
uh, wild drug binge, um, just this insane psychedelic drug trip in which he sees, you know, what his life could have been. And, you know, if, if he'd um, actually treated the people around him like they mattered. Um, and then at the very end of the, of the episode, he finds him himself standing in front of this ghostwriter character, Diane, and saying, you know, I, I've done so many horrible things, but I still think deep down I'm a good person. Will you tell me deep down I'm, I'm a good person? Please. Um, and she just stares at him, you know, and then the, the you know, the uh, screen cl- cuts to black and that's the end of the episode. And, you know, I was just shook by this. Um, you know, and finally in the, in the, in the final episode, um, he corners her, you know, and he asks her a little less aggressively, you know, do, do you, you do think, right, deep down I'm, I'm a good person. And, um, you know, she says to him, you know, that's the thing is I don't really believe in deep down. Um, you know, I think you are just kind of, you are what you do, you know, um, and I just, I thought that was just a really fascinating encapsulation of two approaches to the idea of the self, you know, who you are. Like, do you have this innate core that's like untouchable, um, not just by the people around you, but by like even what you do, you know, like, are you, do you have this core to your being that's so untouchable that even if you do nothing but horrible things, you can still be a good person deep down? Or are you just the sum total of, of what you do? Um, and I think most people, at least in the modern era, think of themselves as more the former than the latter. And I think the reason for that is most of us are terrified of the possibility that we only are what we've done because most of us have not done many truly good things in our lives um and that was um you know that was just kind of what i was thinking about as we were talking about uh the, the nature of the self at the end the nature of identity you know, um, we said, you know, I, I, I said, um, is there something innate to each of us, like just this deep down kind of thing? And and, uh, and Brian said, you know, that sounds almost Gnostic. Um, and Gnosticism, if you don't know, was, you know, it was a, it was a set of early heresies that the um, early Christian church condemned. Um, we know about it mainly from St. Irenaeus's uh, writing Against Heresies was the title. Um, and the concept of, of Gnosticism is that the material world is bad and only the spiritual is good. And it, mo- most forms of Gnosticism are so extreme on that that they say uh, God didn't even create the physical world. You know, like God created 
a lesser God who created a lesser God, who created a lesser God, who created a lesser God, who finally got around to um, creating the, the physical world. Um, and you know, Gnosticism had kind of two major strains. There was kind of the aesthetic, or, sorry, not aesthetic, the ascetic uh, form, which is physicality is bad, so you should deny yourself in every possible way. Um, and then there was kind of the hedonistic form, which was, you know, the physical world is bad, so who cares what we do in it? Um, we might as well just have as much fun as we can with the flesh, if you will. Um, and this is an approach to understanding uh, matter and the soul that really doesn't show up in the Christian scriptures. It owes much more to the writings of Plato and other Greek philosophers. Um, but it is extremely popular in the modern kind of popular imagination. Um, it's kind of come down to us through... Uh, modernism in a lot of ways. Now, I, I said, you know, when he, when he said that sounds Gnostic, I said at the very least it sounds Freudian. Um, and Freud was, you know, kind of one of the ar architects of uh, modernist thought in a lot of ways. Um, and Freud kind of conceived as the, the human psyche as kind of this innate core that exists independently of, you know, the body and you know has all you know these warring factions the id and the superego and the ego and modern psychology though really doesn't take a lot of stock in that um and in fact when freud was right about things um he was usually right by accident <laughs> you know um one of those situations where you're so wrong in one direction and so wrong in the other and your errors kind of correct for each other um there's a book that i read uh recently about a year ago recommended to me by a, a counselor friend um it's by um bessel van der kolk um who is a neuroscientist it's called the body keeps the score um and i've seen a lot of people talking about it so i think it's I think it's fairly well known um, you know and, and his argument essentially is that you know trauma is stored physically in the body um, in ways that are that are measurable um, and you know Freud talked about people repressing traumatic memories like as if the you know their soul was like deliberately squishing it down in order to protect another part of their soul or, or something like that but um what von der Kolk points out is is that you know what well, well the phenomenon of quote-unquote repressed memories does appear to be genuine in the, in the sense that traumatic things happen to people uh but they don't remember it um, well, that does seem to occur. It's not, it's not like a subconscious repression issue. It's more um, an issue of your body and your mind go into a different mode of functioning when you're under trauma and it just kind of bypasses your memory circuits. Um, and all that is just to say that... Um, 
you know, that there's a real physicality to our souls that modern science seems to bear out. Um, and the soul is very much connected to the body um, in a very real way. Um, the idea that we're, you know, half flesh and half spirit, that's, I mean, that's a platonic idea. And it's, it has found its way into certain modern expressions of Protestantism. Um, you know, there's this idea that all that really matters is what you believe deep down. Um, and it's not something that has a lot in common uh, with historic Christianity and, you know, to be perfectly frank, I think it's given us a lot of the problems of modern American culture um, because, you know, whether we like it or not, modern American culture is built on, in part, American Protestantism. Um, so we can have these ideas like, you know, sure, Trump does all these horrible things, but, you know, he's a baby Christian. He believes. Um and I, you know, I, I don't know how many people actually believe that, um, but a lot of people believe it about themselves. You know, like I might have done all those bad things, but I know deep down I'm a good person. Um, and I think in terms of uh, modern psychology and neuroscience and in terms of traditional Christian theology, there is no deep down, you know, you are what you do. Um, show me your faith and I, by my works, will show you mine, you know? Um, so that's just, uh, you know, something to think about. Um, anyway, really interesting conversation with, uh, with Brian. I really appreciated him being on the show. Um, I think the, you know, the talk really speaks for itself so i'm not going to add too much more to it um you should check out bojack horseman <laughs> none of the none of the later seasons really live up to the first um which i think is kind of it seems like kind of a, a problem inherent to netflix series is where they have a really great idea for a one season arc and then the producers kind of push them to make more seasons and more seasons, and it becomes apparent that they're running out of ideas. Um, but, you know, some of the later seasons have some really good episodes, and I do think the um, there is something thoughtful to them, of this, this idea of, like, why is it so hard to change, even if you have come to the conclusion that you're a bad person and you need to get better why is it so hard to change so i would highly recommend checking out that series um it dovetails dovetails very nicely with um what we've been talking about on the show anyway i want to thank the raven creek social club for hosting the show um i did forget to mention this earlier but there there i did um guest on one of their special episodes they interviewed me it's pretty interesting um so if you uh the the flagship their flagship podcast uh, faith and other oddities. They uh, talked to me about some of the things I've changed my mind about, and it was it was a pretty fun talk. So you should um, check that out. 
Um, and be sure to check out Raven Creek's other podcast, The Commentarians. It's really interesting. Um, they watch a movie and they talk about it as they watch it. So, you know, it's almost like riff tracks, except not particularly funny. Um, so <laughs> worth checking out. Um, yeah, if you want to know more about me or what I do, go to my website, LukeTHarrington.com. Um, or just go on Amazon and search for my one book that I have out, Ophelia Live. Um, I think I will have exciting news about the future of my writing career soon, but I will leave it for a later episode. Um, until then, take care and don't be afraid to change your mind. Bye. Thank you.